to look, I'm sorry, not the book of Luke, the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Eventually we'll get to the book of Luke. I don't know if we'll get there tonight or not, but anyway, Isaiah, please. And we're going to look at the 10th chapter at a particular verse we have looked at now several times in this series. We're talking about the anointing. The anointing. The anointing is the ability and power of God manifested through the presence and through the operation of the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again because it's very important to understand what the anointing is. It is the ability and the power of God manifested through the presence and operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And according to this verse, we're getting ready to read Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. We find out what the anointing will do. It says here, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder. That's the enemy's burden. And his yoke, the enemy's yoke, from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So the anointing is yoke-destroying, burden-removing power. In the Christian life, we need more than just information. We need impartation. It takes more than principles. It takes power as well. That's not to say one is better than the other. It just, I'm trying to say that both are necessary. And it's sometimes very easy to get caught up in study and get caught up in information And it's fun to learn, and it's interesting to learn biblical principles and truths and history and geography and all the things that go with studying the Bible, and all that's important. But if we just know stuff and we don't have power, if we're not seeing any confirmation of the word that we're learning about or the word we're speaking or preaching, then something's missing. And the something that's missing in so many situations is this, the anointing. To anoint means, in its very basic uh, definition, to rub or smear or to pour something on. It's it's to apply something. Uh, If you put lotion on your hands, you are, in essence, you are anointing your hands. If you put it on your face, you're anointing your face. So that's, that's the action of anointing. So you can see that things are anointed that are not necessarily holy and things are anointed with things that are not necessarily spiritual. But when God uses the terminology in the scriptures, there's a purpose, there's a reason. Things were anointed in the Old Testament for sanctification so that they would be set apart for the service of God. The furnishings of the tabernacle, for instance, were anointed. But... That made them holy, but not powerful. People are powerful if they're anointed. Amen. The anointing is not in uh, a piece of furniture. The anointing is in the power of people. Now, we know that there are transfers of the anointing. There's ways that the anointing can be transferred. Acts 19 and verses 11 and 12 says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So we know there are certain 
natural things that are carriers or transmitters of the anointing. Just like electricity in the natural, you can't use just anything to conduct electricity. Uh, a block that you build a building with doesn't conduct electricity. Bricks don't conduct electricity. Concrete doesn't conduct electricity. But copper wires do. Amen. And so, uh, in the spiritual dimension, there are certain things that God uses that are able to be carriers of the anointing. And, you know, I've told the story so many times about the prayer cloth, that, that anointed cloth that we laid hands on and sent to that gentleman in Arizona many years ago who said he was an atheist. His niece came to our church, and she was concerned about him because he had this growth on him that about the size of an egg that had come up on the back of his neck. And, of course, then he got kind of concerned, and he actually submitted to this strange, I guess you could would say, request of his niece that he would take this piece of cloth and <coughs> excuse me, put it, put it on his body. So he did, and overnight he woke up the next morning, that thing was gone, completely gone. Now, how does that happen? When you figure it all out, tell me. We don't have to fully be able to grasp everything with our mental capacity to be able to believe God for things. I can't see an atom, but they're real. I don't understand uh, how I breathe in air which has in it oxygen, among the other things that might be in it, and that, you know, it's somehow taken into my lungs and then somehow it's taken into my blood and it's transported through my body and when I exhale, I exhale carbon dioxide and that process is absolutely essential to life. I don't understand all about that. Isn't God smart? It's amazing. But the point is, the anointing is God's ability and power, the supernatural ability and power of God manifested in this natural realm. So it's, it's the thing that enables us to do things that we could not do otherwise. I think about the story of Samson in the Bible. We're familiar with him, you know. Uh, Samson, you know, was uh, uh, dedicated from his mother's womb to serve the Lord. Uh, he uh, was what was called a Nazarite. And that means that he was instructed on how to um, be raised. His parents were told what that he had to do. And among other things, one of the things happened was that he could not cut his hair. That was part of the Nazarite vow. And those of you who've read the story of Samson, you know that one of the great um, characteristics of this interesting man was that he had superhuman strength. He was the original Incredible Hulk, only he wasn't green. And he, he was the original Superman, you might say, in a way. And of course, you have to understand that he did not look like a bodybuilder. He didn't look like Mr. Universe. Because if he had, then that's, people would have thought, well, well, he's just really super strong, and that's why he does all these things. And you know, he did some incredible things. One, one time he took the gates off, of, off their hinges of a city. And carried him away. And one time he took the jawbone of a mother-in-law. Oh, I mean he took the jawbone of a... Of a <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's mean, isn't it? He took the jawbone of a donkey. And he slew about a thousand people. A thousand people. 
And so these Philistines, who were the enemies of Israel, and they hated Samson, they wanted to know, how does he do this? So obviously he didn't look any different than an average guy. But when the anointing came upon him, it was like he turned into somebody else. And you know the story. He had this girlfriend named Delilah. And Delilah was a temptress. And uh, she wasn't a good girl. And Samson, he'd go and he'd lay down in their lap. And the Philistines would come and she'd say, Samson, awake. The Philistines are upon you. And he would arise and the anointing would come upon him. And he would do all the stuff that he did. Well, he finally told her, my strength is in my hair. That's, how, that's where my strength is. And I don't know how much he explained to her about the Nazarite vow. But anyway, he fell asleep and she cut his hair off. And then she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he arose, the Bible says, and did not know that God had departed from him. And he attempted to do what he'd always done before. He just thought, you know, I'll get up here and I'll beat the tar out of a bunch of them. You know, kill them or whatever. Get rid of them. And this time was different. They took him as a captive. They put his eyes out. And they put him into a, a, a place where he would just turn a mill and grind out the wheat to make meal or flour or whatever it is they were making there. And just like an animal, like an oxen or something like that, he was going around and around. And he was grinding that out. And, of course, over time, if you read the story, you know, his hair grew back. And so that's when he got that time in the temple of the Philistines, temple their idol god, and they were having all their big deal that they were doing like they did. And he prayed to the Lord to use him one more time, and God did. And he pushed that thing down and slew more Philistines, the enemy of Israel, in his death than in all of his life. It's a, it's, a, it's a sad story. An ending is very sad. But the point I'm making to you is that the anointing will allow you and enable you to do things that you could never do otherwise. And I don't need to go out and slay a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. I don't need to push down any pillars and cause a temple to collapse. I don't need to do those kinds of things, but I need to do some stuff if I'm going to obey God. Every one of you do. There's an assignment on your life. There's a purpose that God has given you birth for. There's a reason you're on the planet, and there's a reason that God has called you to a specific place for a specific time with a specific assignment. And though you can figure out where that place is and you can know what time it is and you can even come to the knowledge of what your assignment is, but you still will not accomplish it without the anointing. And the anointing costs you something. Now, I know that when you say that, people just go berserk on you because we're in the day when people... Uh, you know, talking a whole lot about grace, and, and grace is a great biblical subject, so don't get me wrong about that. But people don't want to hear anything about anything costing something. And, and, and somehow or another, their minds always jump to this thing of, you know, you're saying that you buy stuff from God or you earn something from God. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say at great cost, what I mean is that there is a life of separation because remember the anointing was used not only to empower, but it was used to sanctify. Sanctification 
will cost you. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean that you won't be able necessarily to do everything your flesh wants to do. Amen. You cannot be anointed and live in sin. You cannot be anointed. I'm talking about on a consistent basis, on a long-term basis. I know that there are people that maybe we've known of that have uh, lived and, and, and they function somewhat in a great anointing and, and maybe they got into trouble and they functioned for a while in that, but finally it caught up to them. It always does. I know you didn't come here to hear this tonight, but I have to tell you this anyway. Because if you want to walk in the power of God, and if you want to walk in the anointing of God, and if you want the touch of God on your life, if you want to wear the presence of God on you like you wear your clothes, then the cost is you will have to live a separated life. Now, thankfully, you don't have to have long hair. Because I would look very weird to be a long-haired, bald-headed man. Although I could pull it all back into a ponytail and maybe wrap it up into a bun. But that would look pretty strange. Amen. (laughs) I'm glad that that's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about staying separated unto God. Sometimes we we take the thing of separation uh, on one side only. It's not just separating from that which is ungodly, that which is worldly, that which is carnal. But it's being separated unto God. And one of the best ways to be able to have victory over fleshly lusts and appetites that would detract you and distract you and keep you from the greatest of the call of God on your life, one of the greatest ways to do that is not to focus on what you can't do, but to zero in on what you can do and be separated unto God until you enjoy his presence because I shared with you last week that three keys to the anointing are separation association and impartation separation has to do with environment it has to do with where you're living what you see what you watch what you hear who you associate with has to do with uh, influence association who you hang out with, who you spend time with, who you listen to. If you're always listening to negative people, if you're always listening to people who are totally carnal, you don't listen to spiritual people, you don't listen to people who themselves are listening to God, then you're going to get a lot of bad information. And you're going to probably catch a bad attitude about a lot of things. And I have never seen anybody anointed yet on any consistent basis who changed the lives and saw the power of God manifesting through them that were uh, people that were negative, that were people who were doubters, people who were angry people, people who were bitter people. So separation, association with the right kind of people is important. And then impartation means that we need to receive whatever God offers. The anointing came, comes through these various things, and they all work together. But in the, in the case, for instance, of Elisha and Elijah, Elisha separated himself from his family. You remember when Elijah came along and the call of God came to Elisha's life, 
he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Evidently, he, he was in a very wealthy family for the day, a well-to-do family. This, the 12 yoke of oxen themselves would, would signify some degree of prosperity for his family. And, and he was a part of the family business, obviously. And he was doing what he needed to do and what was normal for a man of his caliber to do. But the prophet of God came along, Elijah, the man of God, whom everybody knew, by the way. People in other parts of the, uh, that weren't even in Israel heard about Elijah. Because this brings us to something else. Don't let me forget, I'm talking about Elisha. Somebody help me out here. But uh, if I do forget. But um, um, if you walk in the anointing, you will not be an average Joe. Forgive me if your name's Joe. I don't mean that disparagingly. But uh, people who are anointed, they, they, they march to a little different beat. Elijah was powerful, but he wasn't the average guy on the street. John the Baptist was anointed. From his mother's womb, the Holy Ghost was on him. And he reached multitudes of people with a message of repentance and with the uh, rite or ritual of baptism for repentance. And, um, but he wasn't the average guy. He wasn't the average guy. And you can walk through the Bible and you can see all these various people. And so, uh, and you understand they weren't just the average person. And so I'm, what I'm saying to you tonight is not something to make you be puffed up with pride, not something to make you feel like you're holier than other people. That's not what it's about. But to allow you to be free, I'm encouraging you to be free to be who you are in God. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. You don't have to look like they look. You don't have to wear what they wear. You don't have to do what they do. You don't have to talk the way they talk. You don't have to go along to get along. You can be who you are in God. And there may be people who will laugh at you, mock you, scorn you, curse you, whatever. But if you really have the goods, there'll come a day when they'll need you and they'll want you and they will probably repent. I think about when... Uh, uh, years ago when I was a, a coal miner, I remember working and there was a gentleman who was there and he just absolutely seemed to enjoy. I mean, he really got a kick out of trying to make my life miserable. And we would be on the job and we would be uh, several of us around. If you've never worked in that world, it's, it's hard to explain. But anyway, you're with people, but that group of people may be separated quite a distance from other, everybody else and you have a job to do in a certain area underground and you're doing what you do. And so you many times, you know, you're waiting to go to start your day. Foreman's doing what they do before everybody starts and, or either maybe several people or everybody's having their lunch at the same time. And so in those times when other people would be around, he would just, he seemed to delight in giving me a hard time because he found out I was a preacher. He found out I was a Christian and so, um, I mean, he would just, you know, with all these people sitting around, he would just look at me and say, hey, preacher, I don't even know if he knew my name, but he'd say, preacher, and he'd ask some very vulgar, embarrassing type question. Kept picking and prodding and going on like that. Well, um, time went on. I just, you know, I, I, I held fast to what I believed, and uh and so finally, I actually got a different job, and I left that place. And so a good while after I left that place, I saw a man who worked there with me. 
And he asked me, did I remember this gentleman? And I said, yeah, I remember him. And he said, well, because before I left, he, had, uh, he needed a surgery. He needed to be off work, so he was gone. And so while he was gone, I left. Well, he came back. And they said, well, you know, said when the, day, the first day he came back to work, said he wanted to know, where's the preacher? He wanted to know where I was because he wanted to tell me, of course, I wasn't there. He wanted to tell me he'd gotten saved. He wanted to tell me that he had received Jesus. So, you know, sometimes we don't understand or we don't really figure out what all is going on. And sometimes the people we think that are doing the least of real listening and paying attention are the ones who are listening the most and paying attention the most. And it's amazing. And so, you know, if I'd have just tried to go along to get along, if I'd have just tried to, you know, if I'd have laughed at all the stuff that they were putting out, all the vulgar stuff, if I'd have just went along with all that, if I'd have done all the filthy talk and all the rest, um, I wouldn't have been able to influence him. You can't win the world by being like the world. You have to be a Christian wherever you are and whatever's going on. So the anointed life is going to put you uh, marching to a different drummer. I just want to warn you that. But it's okay. The blessings of God are so wonderful and so great. You'll be glad you did, and other people will want to know how in the world you did it. Amen. So Elijah, I didn't forget him. Elijah came along, and he told Elisha, you know, he, he took his coat off, he took his mantle, his robe, and he just threw it over him and wanted him to follow him. And Elisha said, well, I need to go home and, and talk to my family. I need, you know, I need to go home, in other words, take care of the loose ends. And he said, no, that's all right, forget it. And so Elisha was smart enough to realize this is a now or never, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I've got to say yes to this. And so he did. And he left his father, his mother, he left all of that. He actually slew uh, some of the oxen and he took the, the yoke, the wood and all of that stuff made up of the, of the yoke, built a sacrifice. It was, it was just a great day. His life was forever changed, forever changed because he had decided to separate himself and associate himself to receive the impartation. And you know if you read your Bible that Elisha did twice the miracles of Elijah. The anointing on Elisha was double what it was on Elijah. So there are ways to increase the anointing. There are ways that we open ourselves to the anointing, and, and those three key things are separation, which has to do with the environment that we're going into, association, which has to do with influence, and impartation, which has to do with yielding and receiving from God. Amen. I pointed out last week, and I know I'm going over some things that I went over before, and then we go off onto some other things. That's just how the Lord uh, is leading us to do this, so I hope you'll, you'll bear with me. But we pointed out last time that uh, there are some things that we need to do to, to, to respond to the anointing. We need to acknowledge the anointing. Because the, the anointing we acknowledge is the anointing that we're going to receive from, position ourselves for. We need to respect the anointing. That is submission to the anointing. I'm not talking about men controlling us, but I'm talking about recognizing the hand of God that's upon people and submitting to the anointing that's upon their life. And then number three, we said the anointing that you receive from is the anointing that's going to benefit you. 
And so you release your faith in the action that that anointing requires. And that's why it's so important to obey God in a service. And when someone that is anointed of God says, let's do something, we really need to do that. If it's lift our hands, lift our voices, whatever it might be. Because if they are anointed of God for the purpose that they're called to and they're doing what they're supposed to do, then what they're saying is more than just them talking to us. It's the Holy Ghost through them speaking to us. You say, well, what if they miss it? The Lord will deal with them. And it'll be obvious if they do. But until somebody is missing it, I want to obey God. How about you? <clears throat> and then we said that we must obey the anointing. We must do the instructions. That kind of goes along with what I just said. And we gave Naaman as an example in 2 Kings chapter 5. And then we said we, the anointing that we serve is the anointing that we will draw from and that we will receive from. Elisha, we talked about him, his proof of that. Joshua, as he served with Moses, was proof of that. Timothy, as he served with the Apostle Paul, is proof of that. These are not the only three, but these are three major pictures that are easy to see in the scriptures. The anointing that you serve is the anointing that you will receive from and the anointing that will come upon you. So if you want to, if you feel called in a certain direction and you want to move in that area, then one of the best things you can do is find somebody that's already doing that and serve that anointing that's upon them. Help them be better at what they do and you'll begin to step into some of those same things. And then not finally, the anointing we sow into is the anointing that we will receive from. And so Paul said, you know, to the, uh, to the churches uh, that he wrote to, and he, he made it clear, uh, like for instance to the Corinthians, that if we've sown into you natural things, then you, sh you should uh, sow uh, back into, in, um, I'm sorry, if we've sown spiritual things, you should sow back in natural things. The whole idea is that it is a cycle of sowing and reaping, and it is natural things and spiritual things and it's a cycle that grows and increases and I know in my own life the more that I have made decisions to sow the more God's put into my hand to sow and uh, and I want to be known as a sower the church the ministry that I'm associated with and myself personally I want to be known as a generous person as a sower and of course uh, we talked about the Philippians and how that Paul said that they're the only church, he said, that's communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. Nobody else has done that but you, he said to them. And it's amazing that that's the group that he said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's the church that he used the term rejoice more than any other epistle that he wrote. These were happy people. These were blessed people because they were sowing into the anointing. And so these are very, very important aspects of the anointing that we need to understand. Now let's go to Luke chapter 4. We are going to make it there tonight. Luke chapter 4. And um, I want to look at this passage. We're not going to teach on this subject forever. I don't know if we'll go beyond tonight or not, but we'll just do our best to obey the Lord. Um, the anointing and faith will work together, you know, to produce the promises of God in manifestation. Jesus, uh, in, in the uh, fourth chapter of Luke, it said of him in verse number 14, as we begin to read there, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. That's dunamis, that's explosive power. That's the same power that 
we receive when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the power promised at Pentecost. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And by the way, it's not a different spirit. We have the same spirit he was anointed with. And that's why we can expect the same results. Amen? He returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Hallelujah. The anointing, what it does, its purpose. There are several things in this list that the anointing upon Jesus does, the same anointing that's available to us today, the same anointing that's upon the body of Christ, the same anointing upon you and me. Amen. We all have different parts to play. We all have different callings. But the general anointing of Jesus is upon the body of Christ. So the church in general should be doing this. Number one... Preaching the gospel to the poor. Healing the brokenhearted. Preaching deliverance to the captives. Not counseling to the troubled, but deliverance to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Let's walk down through these and we're not going to get to all of them tonight, so don't get nervous about it. But let's walk down through these just a little bit and start with the first one, to preach the gospel. What is gospel? Good news. To preach good news to the poor. To preach there is to proclaim the good news to the poor. Let me ask you this question. What is good news to a poor man? Is it good news to say, just hang on, buddy. One of these days in the sweet by and by, there are streets of gold to walk on and mansions to live in. There's never any shortages and nobody runs out of anything. That's all coming later on. So I'm just telling you to hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not what Jesus preached. The good news to the poor is you don't have to be poor anymore. I meditated on this and thought about this. You, can, you should do the same, I believe. And uh, I realized as I was meditating on this that everybody he was preaching to in this Jewish synagogue would have been a Jew. They would have been a member of the Jewish family. They would have been a seed of Abraham. They would have been an heir to the covenant of blessing that was made to Abraham. And nowhere did God ever tell Abraham, you're going to have to be poor. As a matter of fact, Genesis 13 says that Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. You read Deuteronomy 28, the blessing that was pronounced upon his descendants that would walk in the laws of God, that part of it was that they would be blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in the basket, blessed in the storehouses, blessed in all that they would set their hand to, that they would be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. All of that was a part of the blessing. So when Jesus was anointed to preach the good news to the poor, 
It's because that was the message that he was supposed to deliver and they were the people who were supposed to hear it. And guess what? Romans the fourth chapter says, or Galatians rather, chapter 3 says that if ye be Christ, Galatians 3.29, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so what Jesus preached in Nazareth is the same message that's being preached to you tonight and it's still valid for you tonight. The good news to you tonight is you don't have to be poor. And Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that giveth you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant in the earth today as it was the day it was spoken. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that there is an anointing. That word means ability. It means adaptability. There is an anointing, an ability, an adaptability to get, to make, to produce wealth so that God's covenant can be established in the earth today. It takes wealth to establish the covenant. Not only from the standpoint of us going into all the world to establish the covenant, but it takes wealth to establish the covenant from God's point of view. It's the will of God to make you wealthy. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to be a millionaire, and I'm saying everybody's going to be a billionaire. I don't, I'm not talking about dollar amounts, but I'm talking about more than enough. I'm talking about abundant supply. I'm talking about living in the best, driving the best, wearing the best, eating the best, and having a great life and being able to be a blessing. Not being always on the receiving end, but being a giver. Hallelujah. The gospel is by its very nature, when it is accurately ministered, the gospel is by its very nature good news for a poor person. And yet, how many people criticize and get angry if a preacher dares to preach what I'm preaching here tonight? How many, many people get all offended and get all upset because you're trying to give them some good news. Amen. And God is in this process not trying to get things from you. He's trying to get things to you. And by the way, we've already received the offering tonight, so it's not about another offering. I'm not fundraising here. Amen. Hallelujah. So I want to walk in the blessing of God. And I have learned that it's a matter of choosing to just do what the Word says. What did God say? And just do it. And it's amazing what he will bless you with. It's amazing the ideas that he will give you. It's amazing the doors that he will open. It's amazing how that he will, he will put you in the right place at the right time, connect you with the right people, and how that God can just work out things for you. It is amazing. It is amazing. Hallelujah. So the same anointing that will produce healing for the sick that will set the captive free, set the bound person free and bring deliverance to them is the same anointing that will bring you good news where your finances are concerned. You see, God will take care of all of these things. Amen. So I'm not going to get through that whole list tonight, so I'm not going to take all night. If our musicians will come, please. Uh, you know, I know this is kind of probably not going to win me any uh, awards for uh, hermeneutics, homiletics athletics or anything else before that goes but uh, I wanted to tell you this and um, I'm led of the Lord to lay hands on people that need the anointing in their life and if it's just one person that's fine this is not about entertaining me it's not about making me feel good or look good or anything of that nature it's just about 
ministering the power of God to people. And so tonight, if you need or you desire, you don't have to be in urgent need. You don't have to be in desperation. It doesn't have to be an emergency. But if you desire the anointing of God to touch your life tonight, whether it's the anointing to bring blessing to the poor or to heal a broken heart, a shattered heart, whether it's the anointing that brings release and deliverance and freedom in some area of life, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that have been crushed, those that have been bruised, or even to proclaim the year of the Lord's Jubilee, the year when debts are canceled and all go free, back to their possessions. Yeah, I don't have time tonight to get into all this. There's so many beautiful stories here. Jesus had the Spirit without measure. And I'll tell you, the anointing of God is here tonight. I'm just kind of stumbling around up here like somebody drunk, really. Um, you know, 